Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Hashtag Clocked In with me, your host, Jordan Edwards. I'm thrilled to have you tune in as we dive into the dynamic world of productivity, success, and stories of incredible individuals who've mastered the art of getting things done. Whether you're commuting, hitting the gym, or just relaxing at home, this podcast is the go-to source for inspiration and actionable tips to level up your productivity game. I'm on a mission to unravel the secrets of those who seem to effortlessly manage their time and achieve their goals. So if you're ready to clock in and unlock your full potential, you're in the right place. We've got a lineup of amazing guests, industry experts, and thought leaders who will share their insights and strategies to help us crush your to-do list and make the most out of every moment. Get ready to get inspired, motivated, and equipped with the tools you need to supercharge your productivity. This is Hashtag Clocked In with Jordan Edwards. Let's dive in. What's up? It's Clocked In with Jordan Edwards here. Hey guys, I got a special guest today. He's the president of the Columbia Restaurant Group, fourth generation family member. He's the caretaker, and right now he's been part of more than 100 awards. The Community Hero by Tampa Bay Lightning, the Boys and Girls Club, and Big Brother and Big Sister. He's also been officially named a luminary, a visionary, and a philanthropist of the year, as well as father of the year, Hispanic man of the year, businessman of the year, alumni of the year, and at Jesuit an Academy of Holy Names, Outstanding Citizen of the Year, and Tampa, Play, Tampa Police Citizen of the Year. He's also been inducted to five Hall of Fames, among them the Distinguished Restaurants of North America Hall of Fame. Gonsmart has served and has served on dozens of nonprofit boards and organizations, including Tampa Bay, Tampa General Hospital Governing Board. He's passionate about the education of our youth and young adults, and about finding a cure to cancer. Richard's great-grandfather started the world-famous Columbia restaurant in Tampa historic Ybor City in 1905. It's still 100% family-owned, and it's now the oldest restaurant in Florida. There's seven Columbia restaurants in the state. Other restaurant uh, concepts include Casa Santo Stefano, Cha Cha Coconuts, Yuleli, Goody Goody, and Cafe Con Leche, Ybor City, increasing the number of restaurants to 14 and the brands to six. And most importantly, Richard has been married to his high school sweetheart and first love, Melanie Gosmart, since 1973. They have two children, two daughters, Lauren and Andrea. Andrea works with their father in the family business, and he has five grandchildren, twins, Isabel and Michael, Maximilian, Alexander and Amelia, who represent the sixth generation. Wow. Richard Gonsmart. And this is the shortened resume, by the way. There's another 10 pages that I had to leave off because otherwise we wouldn't have the podcast. Richard, how are we doing today? Hey, I'm doing wonderful. It's great to be with you today, Jordan. Yeah, we're uh, super excited to have you on the Clocked In podcast. And just to give the audience uh, just some perspective, where did you start your journey? Was it that you knew you were going to go into Columbia? Why stay in Tampa? Just let the people, like a little bit of the pre-talk. <laughs> you know, this is a family business. And I think my, my children get tired of hearing the story. But uh, it started for me, the journey, when I was three and a half years old. 
On Fridays, my mom would come to the Columbia to eat fish or seafood. We were Catholic, and back then she could not eat meat. And she would bring me over, and I went into the kitchen, strolling around, because it was like a playground, and I walked into a cooler, and I opened it. It's where they had the whole fish, and the snapper, the trout, the uh, pompano, the grouper, red, red snapper. They had their eyes, and I saw their teeth. I turned around, ran out the door screaming, and our chef, Sarapico Perez, laughs at me. And my grandfather says, get that pasu, muchacho. What's wrong with you, kid? I told him the fish looked like they were going to bite me. <laughs> so he laughed. He took me in. He says, every Friday when you come to dinner, I'm going to show you how to tell the fish are fresh. And I want you to, to come back and let me know that the eyes should be clear. The gills should be dark, moist. And that you touch the side of the fish, the flesh should be firm. And he would do this to me and show me. And every Friday, and I thought I was a big boy. I'd go tell him, Liga, that's what I, what I would call him. The fish are fresh today. <laughs> and one day I'm now crying. He says, now what's wrong with you? I said, I can't tell if the fish are fresh. There's no heads. <laughs> the, the, the chefs had gone. They had already filleted them out, took out the heads. And he took me to the back where they made the fish stock for the paella and other dishes. He said, you get the bones, and you." And he, what he instructed to me was that you're only as good as the last meal, and you have to use fresh fish. And so he showed me all these aspects. So they, although we built a new kitchen in 2001, this old kitchen that was from, active from 1935, that door remains. I have this wonderful gift that when I'm walking through, I see these videos in my head and the photos. I walk by that door, that lesson by the door that led to the dining room from the kitchen. And now today it has over 20,000 bottles of wine, but I still see those fish. That memory of my grandfather. And in my office right to there, I have a photo of my grandfather, the dining room that he built the last year in 1958. And the lessons that he taught me, even though I was only eight when he passed away. And so I've had other people in family businesses say, how did you uh, get interested in it? Well, when you're born in it like I am, you feel the responsibility. And where my card, I always wanted to be a president of a, of a company. And I was a vice president. I thought that was cool. But what the responsibility when my dad died in 92 was, it truly was just a caretaker. So I'm the fourth generation caretaker. Titles come and go, but when you're a family business, how many families could say that? Not many. So yeah. Now you, you, now you were my daughter and nephew who are leading the way. They're the fifth generation. And there's less of those. So it's, yeah. it's, a, it's a responsibility that we have to the staff that make us successful. I love that. And Richard, this is one of the main reasons I wanted to have you on is because I've done some research about family businesses. And what happens is when they get passed down, there's usually a, a crux that happens like, there's mistakes, the kids aren't, the kids feel entitled, whatever it is. And uh, on average, I think it's like second generation, 90% fail. By third generation, it's like 99%. So for you guys to go fourth, fifth, it's incredible. What are, what are, what are some of the things? It's insane. It, it's scary. <laughs> what we had to do is through the times we had to change and Succession plan has been on my schedule for over 21 years. In 20, um, 2001, we had come through some difficulties that I faced in 95 after my dad died, but we were named 
Mass Mutual's Family Business of the Year for large companies. Wow. University of Tampa was hosting it. I said, how is that possible? I looked at these other companies. But it's truly an amazing story. And, and then the case study was presented on our family business at Babson College, Wesley Chapel. I will be going there now in October to speak to the class. We've talked to them. And they, 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 the class is there trying to understand, are we going to make it? So when my daughter went with me one day, her name was on an exam. What was Andrea going to do? So, you know, it's to share the challenge that families have. And, and family businesses, the problem that they have is they act like it's a personal bank account. You take money out of the register. Oh, I need some money for this. And they take money out. And I, you, I, I owe you. And it adds up and adds up. It's part of the deal with a family. And some have not succeeded and don't work here. Is you get paid a salary for that position and you have the requirements and responsibilities. We don't get a bonus unless we do well. Before we get a bonus, we make sure that everyone that works represents our company get a bonus on a monthly basis. They're a partner. And so that's the most important thing. So, you know, if you look at the challenges we faced in 2020, that March 1st, 2020, I received the largest distribution check in my family business life. I said, this is uh, not, not right. Something's wrong. And COVID was talked about, but it was not a concern. I put it in the drawer right here next to me. I didn't cash it. I said, I listened to my intuition. I listened to that, which I worry about. The day that we were forced to close, I went to my CFO. I gave him back the check. I said, we need to take care of the people. I'll take care of my family through whatever I have, my means. And I also would not take pay for four months. It's the only person, I didn't ask anybody else to do that. But everybody else was willing to take pay cuts in the management. So I had to be show that uh, I need to suffer. And it's fine. I still haven't, I'm not worried about it. This is a long term. What I've learned through family business is that you have to think uh, short term is 10 years. <laughs> we live in a world where everyone's immediate return. So 10 years. But I only have like three and a half years left before the age I said I would retire. But you still have to think long-term. In Spain, that's what we, they do. And, and I've learned from family businesses there that the next generation have to understand it will be their time. There will be a day that I will no longer be here, maybe by choice, maybe not by my choice. I'm not in control of what the Lord has in, in, in state for me, but I, uh, so we, we're preparing. So it's, uh, that's the challenge that uh, family businesses have is, is that you control that, that, that funding and you get paid that salary. You live within there. You don't take money out of the registry. You don't stake, take IOUs because that happened throughout our family history. One family member over, owed over a million dollars. What a oh, surprise. Wow. What, a surprise. Wow. what a surprise to me. So it, it's having that discipline in place. Yeah, business. We have to learn from the corporate world, but I don't want to live in the corporate world because I will not change a product for pennies. I go the opposite direction. And I had a family member say that uh, he found a pork that would 15 pounds a cent less. I said, okay, that's the raw weight in ours. 
Now go find out how much that pork cost you when you cook it, because I promise you that's loaded with water. Just like when you would run or, and you'd go maybe run a marathon, you'd lose maybe 20 pounds. That was all water would come back. So when he did the test, he says, you know what, you're right. So our pork comes from a family based in Minneapolis, Jim Compart. I work with family businesses because they care. It's his name versus uh, Smithfield, the largest producer of pork owned by China. How does that happen? What do they care about? And that's the thing. Our shrimp, I went to Vietnam to see how the, the farm-raised uh, shrimp were taking place. I came back here and vowed I would never use anything. 85% of the shrimp in the United States that you will eat comes from Indonesia and Asia and Vietnam, polluted water. My shrimp come from the Gulf of Mexico. We were working with a family in, uh, in Louisiana and eventually took the BP money and left their, their, their fishing boats there. And then that money will go and those fishing boats will deteriorate. Then we worked with uh, another gentleman, Carson Kimbrough, and, uh, and he retired after 50 years, but he's got me with another family. So we're getting our shrimp out of Mississippi and that are employing um, citizens of this country in the wild waters of Gulf of Mexico. They're truly, it's great. So what if it costs more? It's I have a conscience of what I feed you and I won't feed my guests anything that I would not eat. In the menu, I tell my restaurants, don't try to make it special because what we've already done is made it special. If it's not good enough for me, it's not good enough for them. So in family business or in business in general, you have to do that. In the, in the world of food service, how do you continue serving a 99 cent hamburger? I don't know. You can't. You know, right now, frying oil to fr make French fries, and we have contracts for a thing. We have a great buying group, has gone up in 200% since March. 200% for frying oil. How do you make that up? You're seeing these increases. You have to work. We're finding shortages in, in the way that uh, product is being shipped. You have product coming from California produce and a semi. Nobody wants to be a semi. Here's what has to happen. History. I believe in history. You have yeah. to go back to what history was. And what did they do? They had the, uh, the, the rails came in and Henry Plant had rails coming in. And that's how Tampa started the Tampa Bay History Center with the University of Tampa, um, Tampa Bay Hotel with University of Tampa is and the iceberg lettuce were called ice iceberg because they would put ice on top of the lettuce to keep it cold in the transportation. What you're going to see if, if this country gets smart, <laughs> the rails that we already have will go over repair them and they will have a, a train with over a hundred uh, cars being pulled by one conductor, dropping them off where they have to be. How do I know that? Because when I was in fourth grade at boys Academy, right behind me was a train going there. And my ADD and would, it would help me because I'd sit there and count how many cars there were. And I counted the caboose. I wanted to see how often that train came back and forth from the port of Tampa. But yeah. that's what you have to see. We have to evolve. You know, the, 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 the cars, before you had great systems to move people around, you had uh, the uh, streetcar in Tampa and coming up and down right through Ybor City. And what happened is, here come the cars and all the rubber tire and the gas companies. And they, yeah. they, 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 they evolve and they pull the rails out of the way, out of, out of the streets. So there's no yeah. competition. Yet we have rails throughout 
from Brooksville, which is about 55 miles to the north, that goes through Dade City by Wesley Chapel, by Lutz, by University of South Florida, ends up in Tampa. CSX line has that. And I talked to some um, political individuals, Lieutenant Governor Florida this last week, and told her, we have to get the, that, that, uh, that, that rail. How can CSX control something that they don't use? Yeah, you could maybe drive your car or get dropped off, and along the way, what will happen is you'll improve the the neighborhoods. And what I would do is my my employee to help them. I would pay a monthly fee so they can catch it for you. Today's world, you have to take care of your staff, and if I did that, it wouldn't cost him anything to come to work and go back. Oh, I get it. I get it. You know, you know. Yeah. So if you're driving from. 45 minutes away from Wesley Chapel and you're stuck in traffic, waiting, waiting. And then you come downtown and you have to pay maybe $200 a month in parking. It makes zero sense to me. It just does. Yeah. What, what I'm looking at history, Ybor City was a thriving industry that really is responsible for the evolution of Tampa because you had 150 cigar factories here. The port of Tampa is about a mile away. And the cigar factories you see that are still remaining, they had towers where they could see the ships coming in to unload the tobacco. They would go pick it up many yeah. times by rail. And so that's what Tampa started. You know, the rail brought Tampa, the shipping industry came, um, and that created Tampa, the jobs of what we know today. So I learned from the history and along those areas where, where Tampa, with the warehouses, and everybody looked down on it and said it would never be successful. And I said, yes, it would. And there's a restaurant called Eulalie you may be familiar with. Yeah, of course. Everybody had told me I'd lost my mind. Richard, what? Because they said there was no way I'd be successful there. My (laughs) CEO says, I'm putting the company at risk. My wife says I lost my mind. Um, I take Paul Avery, who was a a CEO of Outback, because I'm looking for an ally. He's walking around shaking his head. He says, this has to be a destination restaurant. There was nothing there. <laughs> that building was a source of water for my family restaurant, 1903. It was the second source of water for the city of Tampa. And so it's really less than a mile away. It's the water that gave my family life. My great-grandfather actually opened the Columbia in December 17, 1903. And after it closed in 31, it's where they brought the liquor in and the tunnels that where they kept the liquor. I know all these stories about it. And I was born four blocks from there and five blocks from my mom. I said, this makes sense. So we did it. And you look what's happened. There's 35 acres under development. You know, high rises, apartments, uh, offices, Pfizer's moving in there, all this construction. And when the city made me the deal, because nobody would do it, nobody would touch it. But I was able to uh, get a deal that was great that uh, I actually own that property. Now, I wow. went two acres on the water. And I tell people, I said, wasn't fair you got that. Ask the city how much their property taxes have increased, how my investment has helped this city. Yeah, I mean, that runs into a lot of major issues. Um, I, Richard, first off, <laughs> you, are, you have so much knowledge. I love it. The, <laughs> the first thing you brought up is how the family, I was getting chills when you were telling that story about giving back the check. Even though, like, because you were about the people first. And then also the other part is that your family members, they stay inside their lines, which is super important. And for me, what I found awesome about just all of, like, everything you were sharing here is, is how 
large scale you think in perspective you know what i mean you're looking at how to solve the issues of the people that work for you you're looking at solving much bigger issues than just how to reconstruct ebor city how to reconstruct these other areas because i honestly i probably wouldn't be living here if it wasn't for you bringing in armature because armature works came from you like yeah. All of that area, like that got clean. My buddy lived right outside of there because that was there. Do you know what that building once housed? The streetcars. <laughs> All the streetcars of Tampa, that was where they went at nighttime to store. And they don't tell that story. So I have a little personal streetcar that I, I bought. as a little a bar outside. By the, and I, I'm working on trying to get a 40-foot one to make a bar outside. You got to tell the history. Absolutely. Yeah, it's um, it, it's it, it's mind-boggling to me that people don't understand when you you share what Tampa was and where we are. And and I ask people, are you from Tampa? And my wife says I'm nosy, but if they are, we probably know families. We may be even related. It, it's a responsibility. So what I shared was the stories my grandfather went through during Prohibition by merging with a little cafe next door and. And, and the challenge they faced, but then prohibition came along. How do you do that when you were actually started as a Columbia saloon to serve beer? That was proved yeah. by the Florida Brewery. And my grandfather, the story my mom told me was, he borrowed $35,000 with a handshake of a banker to build the first air-conditioned dining in the city of Tampa. My mom was 15, she told me, when she heard her father tell mom that if it didn't work you have to blow his brains out but what he had told me as well is when think business was slow you'd paint the walls and if you did that it gave your staff confidence everything was going to be okay and your customers looked at you that you had strength and they had confidence in you so when we had the covid i went against what everybody told me to do we were feeding uh, the equivalent of four thousand meals a week to our staff we were doing for families of four, providing at no cost. We paid their, their portion of the health insurance because they couldn't afford to do it. And I continued contributing to their 401k. At Uledi, we put a new roof on top to make insulation. In Ebor, I tore out walls and put a state-of-the-art dishwashing system and disposal system, spending a million dollars. I continued the construction of Santo Stefano because the contractor, Jeff Nelson, family business, he says, listen, we'll continue going. You won't have to pay me. This is March. You don't have to pay me till September. So why would you do that? And he says, because you're Richard Gonsmart. And your, your handshake is more valuable than money in the bank. <laughs> and, I, and I'll never forget that, but he understands my loyalty. And so when you give your word, you, you're, you're, uh, you honor it. And you're always honest during those challenges like I faced in 95. Because when you tell the truth, you don't have to have a good memory because it's the same story. At 95, when I faced these challenges that I did not know about, I met with every vendor explaining my situation, what I would do. And anybody could actually pull, pull the trigger on me. I found out that, uh, that my chief disaster offers that my dad had brought in had not paid sales tax at $278,000. Oh, my God. 
I had to go down to see them with my attorney and Ken Lycombe from Deloitte and Touche. And I had to explain what my plan was. They could have locked me up. They could have arrested me. I had to meet with them weekly. So people think I don't know what a challenge is. I do. And then one day they tell me, I think they're going to arrest you. I said, but I've done everything. I flew down to Miami to go see Ed Sternley, family business, Henry Lee. We owed him $787,000. I came in with my brand new CFO that had been with me like about two months, a month. And they think I'm going to just tell them I want to pay pennies on the dollar. I said, sir, I would never do that to you. If you will give me three years term, I'll, I'll pay that and I'll stay current. They looked at me like, what choice do they have? Yeah. Can I do that? And I did. <laughs> I took every measure. I sold everything that I had and I drove a pickup truck. And, and the last day at 36 months later, I flew down there to give them the check and to thank them. What year is this? 1995. Not that long. Oh, because of the sales tax. This is the same. It was all at one time. He had not paid anybody. He'd gone through all the money, all the reserves we had. I had no idea. That's when I had to take over the company. I was not the president CEO. <laughs> I had to take it all over and, and, and now manages. And so when you look at 1995 and the 2001, the family business of the year, well, it's, it's crazy. But how did I get out of this? We, we brought in this uh, chief financial officer that came in for five years and I try to explain to him the situation. And Deloitte and Tush told him, we were a going concern, which means we're not going to make it. And people were telling me, you're never going to make it. We're going to buy it for pennies. I, I went to see this one guy. And um, and I had 104 fever. I said, sir, I will make it. And, and I, now you want to see me? I'm not going to talk to you any longer. It was crazy that when Open Eulalie, he called to see if I could get him a table. He couldn't get in there. I said, I wasn't going to make it. <laughs> Karma's a bitch. <laughs> but yeah, so, you know, but it's, it's um, when, when you're, you know, I'm brutally honest sometimes and sometimes it hurts. I don't mean to, and I, and I know I do, and I don't mean to do that. And uh, I, I'm only as good as, and I worry when people make, don't follow procedures, that drives me crazy. Uh, quick to anger, passionate, quick to anger. Yeah. Um, I don't like to get angry, um, but I can. When I see people don't care, but they're not following procedures. So we have about 1,400 plus people that work for us, and we have a wonderful team. We have about 23% of that 1,400 have been with us 10 years or more. Wow. And that includes restaurants that are not 10 years old. <laughs> uh, you know, George Geach is the longest term uh, employee. He started when he was 15 years old as a high school dropout, got into trouble. And today he's the general manager of the Columbia. So I love it. Yeah, so you know, we have we have people that 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 really you know that make us who we are. Yeah, I wanted to include. Uh, so I actually went to the Columbia last Friday. My parents were in town. They wanted to see the uh, the show, and we end up going. My mom's like, "I need the um, the the glasses. I need the glasses from Columbia because they look so cool." So we go to the museum beforehand, and I start talking to the girl who runs the museum, and I'm like. Like, I didn't tell her that I was interviewing you, but I was like, hey, like, what do you think about the Columbia? Like, you like this place? She's like, you're going to have a great time. Like, it's amazing. And I'm like, yeah, but like, how long have you worked here? And she's like, five, 10 years. And I'm like, yeah, but like, how is it here? And they're like, are you kidding me? 
no one should ever leave this place. And I go, why though? Like, what is it? And she's like, when my dad passed away, five general managers came. It It's built a family dynamic. And I was just like, holy smokes, Richard. Like, I knew that it would be a great gift to give you that. Because I was like, Thank you. this is what it's all about. Yeah. You mentioned the History Center. In 1987, there was a fundraiser to try to create that History Center. My dad loved history. He told me it was the most important topic. I never really understood it. I said, why? Why do we have to do this? So my dad passed away. And when they were de- developing it, I said, we want to be part of it. Everybody in the company, the family said, what do you mean? It's, it's in a place. It's in, nobody will go there. There's nothing around it. I said, we have to go there. And you know where it is now. You look at where that property is right there next to Sparkman Wharf near the Amelie Arena. <laughs> and, and so I followed my dad's suit. You know, again, it was within 10 years, that short term a success. But those people that, that do it, so what did I do that when we came out of this problem that I had, we had our first budget meeting. We never had a budget. <laughs> and we're meeting and my new CFO we're in the dining room and we're setting this goal that seemed like we wouldn't make it. And I realized I got $400,000 more sale would, would take us to a bigger milestone. So at the end of the meeting, I said, if we hit this number, I'm going to take you and your spouse to a trip to Spain for a week. And, so, and my CFO is like panicking. Because what is, what is this crazy man doing? <laughs> what are, you know, doesn't he realize this? That, and so I see him writing down, calculating. And so he gets a relief. If we're able to do that, we're able to hit the numbers we said, surely we can afford it. So now we're going into summer. And, and that was when the restaurant would lose all the money because they wouldn't control costs. And so in the middle of May, we're doing pretty well. And I write to all the general manager spouses saying, by now, you, you're, I'm sure your spouse has told you that we probably will be going to school, I mean, to Spain in, in January. You should have your um, child's uh, uh, arrangements made, leave them with somebody and make sure you got your passport. Everybody starts calling. Why did you do that? My spouse wants to know, why am I home? How are the numbers? And you better make the number work. So, so we, we hit it. We blew it out of the water. And every year since, we've achieved those goals. And right now, even though we're in the pandemic, we're setting that trip up again. We're working with wineries in Spain that want to work, and they will host us there. Oh, my. Everybody wins. So how do you make them understand how much I appreciate what they're doing? And what nobody knows, uh, only two people in this company know, and I look back and how we're doing versus 2019, we had a cap on the bonus program because of one restaurant one time, sales were increased, nothing by their efforts. But we're going against 2019, that best year in the history of the family business. And we're in limited staff. We are, we are stressed. And we're doing better sales than we were. We blowing it out in some restaurant, 37% over 2019. As a company, we're up 23%. With less staff, we've made adjustments to our menu and service. And I look, and I said, you know, but I, what do you mean we're not bonusing them on that increased sales? Don't you realize, I tell my CFO, don't you realize the stress they're under? The kitchen, the staff, everybody. So I've, I've, I've adjusted that. And they're going to they're gonna get some big bonus. I'm going to go back from April and bonus them out in their increase. So how do you get them to, to realize how much I appreciate them? So that those people, that general manager, that, that, those people in the kitchen, 
when they get that, they'll understand, listen, money comes and goes. But people that are loyal are difficult to find. And, and so I faced some challenges. And well, why are we going to do that? One family member said, because they deserve it. <laughs> Richard, this is incredible because it's all about the people. It's and, all about the people. And one of the biggest things that everyone overlooks, and I've seen some videos of you doing it a couple times, you do recognition, but it's not when they're expecting it. Like everyone's saying, no, don't do it. When they get these checks, they're going to go, I'm never leaving this place. You, you know what we did that uh, um, my CFO that, that came on that time, he's now a consultant for me. Uh, I said, we have to help the staff while they're laid up because many of them are very challenging. I said, I want to sell gift certificates that will benefit them. And I want somebody, the, the, their, their fellow employees to nominate those people that are struggling. But I want my, my, my nephew and daughter to read these stories, understand the difficulties people have. If they think it's tough, we sold $220,000 in gift certificates. Wow. And we were able then to contribute to these individuals. And so when we reopen, don't you think they're going to be loyal to me? Because I'm loyal to them. And I was very proud that I think it was two weeks ago my, in our family board meeting, my daughter says, Dad, we got to fund it some more. We had people need, and I had another family member. Why, why are we doing that? We don't have to do that. I said, yeah, we do. This is a family business. We're not a corporate. We have no shareholders to answer to but ourselves. And I can sleep at night knowing that I care. And so the fact, and then my nephew told his father, it made him feel good to do that. So there's that sense of satisfaction that knowing you're helping people realize things and, um, and that you're helping. And tonight we have the Latino Scholarship Program at USF that my mom started, started 30 years ago. Today, my daughter and I will be there. We have 24 students on four-year scholarships oh, per generation. Today, we'll have five new students receiving our scholarships. And when the first one that my mom told me after I came out of that problem in 97, that I had a responsibility to do it. Scholarship for Julio Rodriguez, she was going to sponsor Elsie Rodriguez's sister because her father was a migrant worker, died in the field, raised by their mother, who was a house cleaner. And when Julio came and graduated with 4.0, Engineering, his sister, the outstanding senior, Kuma Solari, Lari of the, of the USF Engineering. She went to New Mexico Nuclear Energy. He was GE Aeronautical. Today, they have their own scholarship that they offered to a student. And he had told me he was wondering which fields he'd be picking tomatoes and strawberries. Listen, this is a wonderful country. And it's up to people to make those dreams of others come true. And because somebody... Um, we all came from somewhere and I, and I know when nobody helps you, cause I know when I faced my challenges, there was really nobody wanting to help me. And I prayed to God to give me that courage and strength and wisdom. And I would do that. That's so my daughter said, I'm going to go with you tonight. So that's great because you see these students and in, in the families, yeah, how proud they are to see their children going to college. They never thought it possible. <laughs> you were a business operator. If you want to really feel successful, you want yes. to see the power of your success. It's helping that person realize the dream. Yeah, I practice a random act of kindness at least once a day. That's a good way for me to feel good. You know, to, to, yeah. unexpected. Well, nobody's expecting anything. Yeah. And it just, and my and wife it, with me sometimes. It says, you know, that was very nice of you. 
oh, I literally got one of those yesterday. So yeah. I went to, because uh, I completely agree with you. If you have kindness in your mind and you're helping, people appreciate that. So there, we just went to Peru recently and it was me and a couple of buddies. We hiked Machu Picchu, great time. We ended up going to Ecuador. And one of the guys there, they only get paid 700 soul, 900 souls a month, which is like 250 bucks, if that, 225 bucks. It's nothing. So the kid reaches out and he's like, hey, man, like, I, I'm asking you a favor. Like, I totally understand if it's a no, but like, if you can help, I'd appreciate it. And he's like, I'm flying. I need to get to Cusco because there's another hotel there and I'll work there and there's more tourism there, but the ticket's 150 bucks. And like, to me, I'm like, 150, like, I can cover it. Like, it's not a big deal. And he's like, dude, I'll pay you back. Don't you worry. Like, it's not. And my girlfriend's like, you don't have to do that. I'm like, you felt it's, a thought that, it's a thought that he asked. And I've never had anyone ask. And it's so small. It's such a small amount. Like, it means nothing. It's, like, it's, it's, it's a lot, but it's a, it's a huge deal to him. I mean, gosh. It's you know, life-changing. Yeah, a lot of people wouldn't have done that, but, but it's like, it is life-changing. And that sense of what you did, it, how, do you, how could you ever buy that? You can't. You can't buy that satisfaction. Yeah, so, I, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm glad to hear. So you know, you'll you'll do that more often, and even sometimes with me. A few years ago, we had a Medal of Honor winners, the highest recognition of those that served our country, a convention in Tampa. And for some reason, they came to see me. Some people, <laughs> I don't know who they were. These Medal of Honor winners, and we're talking. They know my faith, and this gentleman presents me this hand carved. Olive Wood from Bethlehem. He says, uh, I want you to carry this. But when you see somebody is struggling, a person of faith, it's a comfort cross. I want you to give it to him. He sent me these <laughs> later to make sure I did it. And you talk about sometimes a person. And uh, I gave one two days ago, and they started crying because it gives them hope, it gives them comfort. This young lady that I was seeing yesterday, I gave her one. She said, Such a wonderful young lady. It makes me, gives me hope that there's youth here that are going to make a difference. And she says, I've got the crucifix she gave me. She sat in my office here. Uh, so, you know, people have touched my life and I'm sure yours and you can never forget it. Yeah. It, 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 it provides, it's contribution. It's the highest level. Where, where did, cause I know you've done stuff with other nonprofits, different boards, all this stuff. And it's not about the titles. It's not about any of that, but like, what was it for you that like, you're like, I'm not just a restaurant owner, but I'm an impact maker. Because you, you're right. You're not just. I, 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 don't, I don't, you know, you get a lot of records, all this stuff back here. Yeah. Oh, uh, God. It, I don't really look at that. Uh, what I look at keeps me focused and it's more about my faith. And, you know, when, when I was in first grade, I, I had a sister, Patricia, um, Mary John, sister of the Holy Names. And I'm getting emotional about this. 
just before school, there was a children's home for orphans. And I asked my mom why those children were outside. So they didn't have a mother and father. I didn't understand that. So my mom, we didn't have a lot of money. She gave me $20 to pay tuition one day at the school for the month. And Sister Mary John was raising money for the orphans of, of uh, Guatemala or Nicaragua. I can't remember. And I put it in the milk box that was there. They didn't see I gave it to them. It was a month later that my, they called my mom that I had, she hadn't paid the tuition. What did you do with that money, Richard? It was a lot of money. You sent me to help. You told me to help children. So I, she started crying when she heard what I did. So that's where the feeling of helping and, and of my time, if I could help. So I don't feel qualified for a lot of this. I really don't. And I was asked to be on the Tampa Journal Board. I, well, I just, I've served three years, but I have other duties right now. But it's like the most important thing to do, this wonderful institution, one of the finest hospitals in the world. I've been involved with Moffitt 20 plus years, one of the top 10 cancer research facilities. You know, I'm involved with the University of Florida Small Animal Hospital. We donate wines to the two bottles of wine named after dogs at German Shepherds we had that died from cancer. And that investment is now had clinical trials on dogs for sarcoma vaccine that worked. And we have clinical, clinical trials for children, a vaccine for sarcoma in children. The fact that that's the cause of cancer in children. I said, oh my gosh. So you feel that resolve that your efforts are working. I mean, it's education to me, it's homelessness. I'm, I'm trying to help the homeless and those that are homeless that, that we could be cured or those that maybe incarcerated and had a difficult time they deserve an opportunity to learn a skill i look yeah. for that and I've, I've, I've faced many challenges i haven't been able to do the culinary program i want i haven't i haven't but i'm talking you know and i sat here the other day and i think i'm finding i it's sometimes you know my faith gets me i said well i my prayers are answered it's not for me to question it's just just stay aware yeah you, there's young people that are just uh have substance abuses, and unless they want help, they have to be, believe somebody cares about them. A young man that worked for me at the time at 13 years old, um, young, young man, he worked summers and African-American, and he disappeared, and he came back, and I said, how are you doing? Well, I got in some trouble. I said, well, trouble. I said, well, are you ready to, to not have trouble anymore? He's been with me 33 years. Wow. And he's like a son to me. Yeah. You know, so, but that thing was, make, we all make mistakes. Whoever doesn't say they made a mistake, it's lying. And when you're young, you make a lot of stupid mistakes. Yeah. You're lucky to survive. So, but you know, we have to be a little more compassionate and understand. And we have to not uh, be discouraged when sometimes it doesn't work. And I, sometimes I am discouraged. Yeah. Like, you can't give up. You can't. And you got to stay in touch with that person. You have to believe these are when you're in business, you have to find those people that care. It's not about dollars and cents. It's, it's about caring and making them feel the health insurance we have is the same exact health insurance. I have, I won't do anything special for me, but everybody's got to be treated the same, the best way possible. Yeah. What political party am I in? I have no idea. <laughs> but when I was with the Lieutenant governor, I started talking to him. She says, you sound like you're running for something. I said, if I did run for something, I'd have to get a good divorce attorney because my wife of 48 years would not tolerate it. But, you know, but we have to have that courage to stand up. You know, you look at law enforcement. Oh, my gosh. You know, I've been involved with them. I'm the secretary of the Florida High Patrol for 21 years, advisor to the colonel. Yeah. They don't get paid enough money. How do you not help them? 1989, I got stopped by Jeffrey Young 
and I deserved to get stopped driving back. I was speeding, acting like a jerk. He was a professional. A week later, he stopped a drug runner who pulled his gun and shot him, killed him, leaving a one-year-old daughter who ended up being having a destructive life. So I look at that. Here you are. You have police that are trying to protect you and me and others from stupid kids and 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 uh, and bad people. I've been held up at gunpoint. My parents yeah. held up twice. I know that. Wow. Who do you go to? You go to the police. So, so we're very, very involved with that the law enforcement. It's important to be involved. If you go, they go to the goody goody, they get 50% off. Or usually it's, sometimes it's free. It doesn't matter. You help them. You know, they have no, no, they don't, they don't have a, a, they don't have a budget for dogs, for canines. So I, I, I donate their canines. I had facility. I did. Listen, that's for me personally. Because, yeah. because, if they that's a, that they need it, but the city doesn't understand it. I can get mad at the city. How do you not support your law enforcement with what they need? We create a baseball trading cards for the officers and their dogs. So it's instead of being they're being bad guys, they see kids, they give it to them. Yeah, you know, it's there's bad, bad cops, there's bad Christians, there's bad everything. But the majority of us are all good if we just earn the respect. And if we learn to respect each other, you know, the Cuban sandwich, it represents a time in 1900. It was called a mixto. It represents the people that called Ybor City home. The, the uh, Spanish brought the ham. The, the, the Cubans were the, uh, the pork. And the Sicilians were the salami. And the Jews were the pickles and the cheese and the mustard. And everybody got along. There was no discrimination. And Brooks Robinson came into this restaurant. When people said they couldn't, of course they could. <laughs> you know, so I look at that. That's the world we need to come back to. You have to understand and respect. I respect all faiths. Yeah. And I said they respect mine. I respect if you have no faith. That's okay. When I'm asked to speak at a, a, a gathering for public school leaders, 600 students, I said, you know, I'm a person of, good, of great faith. You have to watch what you say. <laughs> yeah, so I thought I had a freedom to speech. I'm not going to go overboard, but I'm not afraid to talk about it because we take God out of schools. We wonder what's happening. No value for human life. And you have children come up to talk to you. You can't be afraid to speak what you really feel. Yeah. And so as a leader, if you're a leader, you have to stand up for your, your, your staff, their families, understand them. When I walk through there, I want to know, I will, I will, I'll let them know, I know when they started, more or less. And when they've been there 31 years and I'm off by a year, they're amazed. And I know their family stories to the best of my ability. People that are starting young, it's hard because the younger people aren't there that long, but I'm trying to meet them and, and try to find out what their dream is when I see them in college. What do you want to be? I want to be yeah. a nurse. I can help you because I'm involved with USF Medical. I'm on the board. I can make things happen. Like I can help I can you. And I love it. I, yeah. It, but it's up to but, you. You have to study. You have to put the effort. Yeah. Because most like, and I just want to make note about what you were saying, which is like, obviously people could be listening to this and they're like, Oh, Richard, he's got all this stuff. He has these resources. He could help people. The, the thing that I'm going to bring up is the homeless thing. I took my girlfriend and her uh, younger brother, who's nine. Uh, around Christmas time, and we went in in Florida. It can be a little cold from time to time, and we went to the Goodwill. We bought jackets. We went to a food store. We bought water and food, and we gave it to these homeless people. And it cost me maybe twenty bucks. And the smiles that these people got, and this kid 
who's nine, every time I go over there now, he goes, when are we doing the homeless thing again? When are we doing the homeless thing again? He goes, if I got 10 bucks right now, I'd give nine away. And I'm like, oh, this is what it's about. But that's how you started. You started teaching them young, the importance. Like my, my granddaughter, Amelia, who's now 12, she's involved with the Humane Society. And she understands and loves animals. She goes out there. And she has that passion. She understands to give. We have to start teaching them at a young age. That's sense. And the homeless situation, some, that's their choice. Other, it's not. And how do they get out of it? So through education and I don't talk about college. Not everybody has to go to college. I don't have a degree from college. I stopped after three and a half years. I, I told my father, I, you know, I went to university of Denver. It was a great school. I had a plan and I was married my last year of school in Spain, but I, that's the one thing I regret. But if you look right back here, that's the university of South Florida top recognition for an individual. They had me give the commencement speech when you I said, do you understand? And I speak to the MBA business class every year at University of South Florida. Oh, my gosh, that the dean, Moes, is, is sharing my philosophy on social media. Wow. You know, so you don't have to have a college degree, but you better have an education that you continue through your life. Yeah, and tell the tell the group, and I think that's so powerful, the continual learning, and that's why these podcasts are so important to listen to or hear and be a part of. But I won't, we talked about it previously. Tell them what happened with your high school. Uh, <laughs> Jesuit, about 16 years ago, they sent me my, my four-year transcripts, and I get it, and I call Nick. I said, is this some form of blackmail? And he laughs at me. No, 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 no. And uh, I said, well, you know, I was a terrible student. There's my transcripts I keep on my desk. <laughs> I, I, I keep it for when I'm talking to students that struggle. At, at 19, uh, when I was 43 years old, I was diagnosed with dyslexia and ADD. It made it all clear. When I felt stupid, and kids feel stupid with it. And there's a lot of people out there don't talk about it. And dyslexia has different forms. And so I, I struggled, and and, um, and so I made a donation without telling them. Um, I told Nick some years later they were going to do a fundraiser to try to build, build the school up. And the president of the school came, Father Hermes, and he went to the bathroom and said, I'm going to do this skip, but don't tell Father Hermes. He said, what do you mean? What do you mean don't tell him? Don't tell him. Um, of course, he had to tell him. But two years later, they started it, and my gift was announced. There was eight other people said that my example led them to match my gift. Wow. So the administration building of this beautiful, wonderful school, Jesuit, that I always wanted to attend, they placed my name on it. I said, you must be kidding. But I asked that they have my trans four-year transcripts of Jesuit on display. Yeah, and... It the, the importance of that and the reason for that is that it shows that anything is possible to the future. Anything's impossible. You know, but I think today with children, if, if parents will get them tested and understand, my, my, my granddaughter, Amelia, has got my gift. And so they're going to help her. I have had to teach myself, and this young lady I met yesterday, um, she taught me and has done so much for me. And that things I figured out, this I can calculate stuff in my head so fast. I can figure, I don't know how I do it. Can't figure it out. I could tell you when things are going to happen. I don't know how I do it. 
but you train, train yourself. But today we have to teach these kids that are gifts. If you have that wonderful gift that my friend tells me is a superpower, you can yeah. succeed. As a football player, I'd have to, as a running back, I would say, am I going this way or that way? <laughs> you know, recruited by 20 some schools to play football. And some dropped because I wasn't a good enough student. That's okay. You know, we all have that gift. And so I, 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 uh, I share that and uh, I honor those that, that taught me. And um, Sister Patricia Plum helped me through fifth through eighth grade and helped me with my self-esteem. And I had to take the entrance exam to get into Jesuit twice. <laughs> yeah, man, struggle. I couldn't get in there today. But this, that's, it's not stupid, you know, but you, you feel it. And the guys that I played football with, they said, we never thought you would achieve what you did. That's just, you know, we're, we're different. Yeah, and people that, and the guys that were the smart guys, I don't think they're doing anything. And and the guys that were in my class, we're the ones doing everything. <laughs> well, well, that's the biggest thing. That's the biggest misconception about schooling and all of that is that we have people who go and they feel that they need to go to school and they got to go to college and they got to do this and they got to do that. But what it really is is just a thought process and a learning process. And if you can do what you're doing, like learning how to run a business, caring about people, doing that. That's the real value and the contribution. Jordan, as a sophomore in high school, I had a father, Thomas Kelly, give me a book on all the hospitality schools in the country. And I started at the University of Denver back then to go. Why? They had the best, I thought, restaurant school. And I didn't apply to one other school. And I was recruited by uh, Michigan State. And they had, but they wouldn't let me study, uh, hospitality and et cetera, et cetera. So I went to university of Denver and I found out they only accepted one out of 10. How did I get in there? But I followed, I had a plan. I studied what I wanted to study there. And I completed that study that I went to Madrid and I finished what I wanted there. And then I was ready to come back to work. I knew everything. I'm 68. I realized I don't know very much yet, <laughs> but we're, you know, we're, we're learning. So we can all learn. And, uh, you know, I, I wake up and, and I'm there reading. My, I, don't, I can't do well with big books, but I, I do well with reading. And I constantly read during the night. I woke up at 2.30 and I'm reading and reading and, and reading and learning, getting ideas and looking for inspiration and thoughts. What am I going to do? How am I going to make this menu better? You lady, we're, we're going back to the Native American. We're seven years old. And so you've been there a few times. We're, we're evolving a little bit and putting items that nobody else is doing. Something different. Casa Santos, Stefano, Sicilian-based restaurant. Nobody does that. All my wines are from Sicily, 100%. I visited it five times. I import my salt from there. I did. I do so much from there. That's just different. Yeah. You have to be, in business, you got to offer something different. If you're selling insurance, you better do it in a different way. Yeah. And you, and no, you got to provide the service. You know, my, my life insurance, a graduate of, of University of Tampa, played for the football team, Rick Thomas. I met him in 73. And to this day, he's my insurance guy. He's retired, but his daughter is now taking care of me. I meet with her. Our dairy family, the Wyard, has been selling us milk for 112 years. The Segundus and Trial family, the Moray family, have been making our cube bread uh, 103 years. So you stay loyal with people, and you stay there. Our attorney firm since 58, and we hired mm -hmm. one of the – the uh, attorneys that had been there 31 years to work for this, but we still work for them. You got to stay honest and loyal. You don't change for the sake of change in dollars and cents. It's a res you know, responsibility to your partners in business and to your staff. It's yeah. a, it's a story that 
you know, um, it's worked for me and, and people will realize and care and call people by their name. And I'm Richard. They call me Mr. Gosmar. I said, that was my dad. It makes me feel old. <laughs> um, I, I've dressed, this is my father here. Yeah. Um, Leroy Neiman, artist did it. And, and so he's with me and on special occasions, I wear his cologne that was left and I wear his polka dot tie so I could feel his spirit. Oh, wow. And so, you know, I, I realized every single dream he wanted. My wife says, I have to dream my own. Well, my dreams were to make all my dad's dreams come true. And I've done that along with my own. Yeah. Things that he wanted, but couldn't do. That's something that I shoot for. And so I had to wear a suit and tie and he wore a tuxedo every night. And I'm in blue jeans and a polo shirt because <laughs> I'm no, I'm, who am I? Listen, I'm, I'm no, I don't want to act like something I'm not. I'm just a normal person. And then if you can act normal, I'm not going to be, I'm not going to be stuffing. You know, I'm, you know, I don't know. And my wife is upset with me. When you bring yourself down to the level, you talk to, listen, I love the dishwashers. Well, I was going to say, uh, just from our experience and our conversation, like there's a lot of guys who are restaurant owners in different places who don't know the staff. And you are, because you sit there and you think, how is this guy doing all this different stuff but can connect with his staff on such a real level? It's because you know that you're everyone's the same. We're all people. We're all unique in our own way. Yeah. And it's what it is. You know, I, I don't get to all the restaurants like I used to. I, the next generation is doing that more so. I, but I know the ones that have been there a long time. So I don't know a lot of you ones. I went to Eulalie today and talked to the back of the house and they're, they're a little intimidated by me. I said, and I know they can speak Spanish. So I start speaking to them in Spanish. Do you speak Spanish? I'm Spanish. <laughs> well, my name is Gonzalo. It's actually Gonzalo Martinez. But, you know, I sat there for about 10 minutes talking to them. Because I don't get back there. We just put a new dishwashing system and disposal system like we did in Ebor. It's going to make their life better. I mean, it was a big investment. Yeah. So why? Because I want to make their job easier. I didn't yeah. need to do it. It's really yeah. working. But when you invest in them, so I see all these, these, these back of the house, people have been with us many five, eight years since the beginning. That's huge. Yeah. So when they see me, you know, they, they just call me richly to give me a, a, a knuckle fist. And a, um, I, I'm not too good to talk to them. I'm a human being just like them. And that's what we have to realize. Yeah. And so I occasionally have to wear a suit. So my wife told me tonight I better wear a coat and tie for the presentation of the scholarships. <laughs> and I will out of respect. But if you're a banker coming to see me, I'm wearing jeans. I didn't ask to talk to you. You want to talk to me. And every time bankers want to do business with me, I look to the sky. I said, God, dad, can you believe it? <laughs> our bank, our banker today is the banker that told me that we hadn't paid the sales tax back in 1995. Joe Chalera. Really? Yeah. Yeah. And I'm a shareholder in that bank. And unfortunately, I don't have a mortgage any longer. I pay my mortgages off. And banks like to give you the umbrella when the sun is shining. But when the when it's raining, they take it away. Yeah. If it was raining right now, they'd give me that umbrella. I don't yeah, need it. That, that's the most important, having those big uh, protection. And they'll always give the loans, especially yeah. someone like yourself. So we, we, we you know, I... If somebody pushed me, I don't have to do anything. I, I try to work out a cash flow. So what that does, it takes money out of the family, out of the family, but it's building wealth in the family. If you reinvest back in. Um, so like yeah. the, restaurant, the, the restaurant in Sarasota, 
opened 58. Um, two years later, they offered up my father for $250,000. He didn't have $250,000. Yeah. And then they offered it again at some point. We could never afford it. And about three years ago, it was available. We had a first refusal and um, somebody offered it and they made an offer and they made another offer. And, and then the gentleman's son had attended Wesley College where I spoke and he met, knew me. He calls him a fresher. And his father says, uh, it means more to Mr. Gonsmart than it does to you. And he let me have it. So I own that building now. Really? I always wish they could own. I had to borrow money for that one because it was a lot of money. <laughs> it's okay to borrow money when it's a good, when it's, it's going to help build sales. And, and, and yeah, so- I, I mean, one of the most important things that you brought up and we haven't like formally discussed that deeply is the financial literacy of running the business in the right way. You brought it up a couple of times, but you're like, the money comes in, we, we don't spend it all. <laughs> you know, with, you know, with my, my gift, um, what I've learned is the key, ind- know your key indicators, know your numbers. I can review all my P&Ls in 15, 30 minutes and find out where the mistakes are because I know what I'm looking for. I know where they should be. And so I can scan it and I can find a mistake that happens. When you know your business you're, you're, and you can review that, it's the most important thing in business, understanding your numbers. And so yeah. I've been able to do that. And, uh, um, you have to have uh, good numbers. And in the old days, my, my father had people that made numbers that he wanted to see. And I, and I, and I was able to prove that. And so I need to know the real world. So, but in, well, in business, it's so important to be aware of your daily sales. You now I have a graph that I said I wanted a graph. I didn't, have, I didn't do this because I was going to be on here. We have 2019 and red is, uh, and red is um, 2000, 2021. So we're, we're following the trends and the reds are all above the blue. But with graphs, you can see things. The numbers sometimes, to me, are difficult. They, they gave me this. This is the variance report from our wines. I can't see that. <laughs> Listen, you know, it's too much information. Give me yeah. the number. Tell me what we sold, what we bought. Here's the ending. And bang, it's easy. But it's, you know, you've got to keep things simple. Yeah. This is too much stuff. Sorry, I get passionate. <laughs> no, I love it. I love it because it what it brings out is the business dynamics of what has allowed you guys to survive for so long and strive at this point, even through these difficult times. Technology that is- should help you. Technology should help you, but it better. So if they wanted to put a system and help me control, control my liquor costs, it'll save us 10%. Through a system where you weigh the bottles, you know what you it's not gonna save me 10%. Baloney. It'll tell me how much I'm missing. Because if you have 20 bourbons and they start ringing it up, you'll have no rhyme or reason. And bartenders are known to take money. You have to control them, you have to count daily, but you, you have to have systems that will give you information that will help you guide. But you can invest all that money. And I said, I will not permit you to do it because it's not gonna do what we need. This report, when they simplify it, will. If you have an awareness of what you have and you count the drinks, and you keep an eye, and you make sure if, a, if you're sitting at the bar, there's a, a check in front, so that, that bartender did. There's methods that are old school. I think the days of a cigar box are, are pretty good. No, here's a cigar box. I can't keep on my desk. Yeah. You know, cigar box, they used to keep the money in there. And then yes. the, the, the wife would be the cashier, and the father was in the back cooking, and the family were the waiters. But now we can't do that. So we have to treat them all like family. When I see somebody new, I say, we're proud to have you be a part of our family. Yeah. Make them understand that, that, that we will treat them that way. 
And just like you would sometimes with a family and a child, you have to discipline them and make them understand. There's no shortcuts. If you go to the Columbia, um, the Cuban bread is 36 inches long. And we'll have new staff. I know when there's new staff, I go through, they cut off the heel. They don't think it's good. That's the most important part. And I'll, tell, I'll tell the general manager, you have a new employee here. What do you mean? Because all these, look at all the butts that are taken off. It's the best part of the bread. At least I think so. Yeah. I'd rather give them the whole bread. So you, they don't understand, but training is so important. And training of the history is important. The value of these dishes, why these dishes are there. And, and the story that behind my grandmother or my mom's recipe or, or the Francisco P. Juan, who was the chef to the King of Spain that created 1935. There's a story behind every recipe at the Columbia. And you share that. Nobody else can do that. But I went into Mangiano's one time in Tampa when they opened. Right behind the hostess stand was the Columbia restaurant. And I said, where is that at? That's one of our restaurants up north. I said, oh, that's great. And I go in and they have a picture of my grandfather sitting at table 21 with Mr. Arno and the contractor and, they, and our architect with a bottle of rum. I said, where is that? Well, that was so-and-so. You know, I didn't tell them anything. They had yeah. five, five pictures until one day they had uh, all the uh, managing partners from, from Mangiano's at the Columbia. And Ron Ryan, who was the director of operation for the chain, had worked for me at one time. He was based in Dallas. I told him the story. <laughs> all the pictures disappeared what it was saying here's this chain national company that was owned by Brinker at the time before that it was let us entertain you they want to be who we are and we don't have to worry about them we have to worry about who we are and you have to worry about in your business who you are what yeah. makes you different than anybody else is and- it the public is it the servers Yeah, and that's one of the most important things is that we're able to sit here and focus on ourselves and yeah. focus on what we're doing and not have a comparison of myself at my age versus Richard at his age. Uh, are we at the same point? Like, there, there's no comparison. We're, we're completely different people and we're unique in our own regard. But everyone needs to understand that because there's so much comparison going on and it brings people down. But we can all learn from some other industry and, and, and get ideas. Let's, I get ideas all the time. You look at Amazon. Who would thought think? I bought it when it first came out. And I was told it would never make money. I sold it at $15 a share. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> One of the biggest financial mistakes ever made. That customer service, it's, they scare me, actually. Because they're putting mom and pop um, businesses out. Yeah. So we have to do a better job. I, I like to buy from family business when I can. In some cases, some are... Or uh, like Ace Hardware, they're franchisee, but they're family owned. And so I, I like to buy whatever possible. But you have to look at that customer service. They can deliver so fast. Yeah. I don't want to be Amazon. I don't want to be other restaurants. I want to be who we are and be the best in our category. Spanish, <laughs> Cuban. People say we're not a Spanish restaurant, Cuban restaurant. That's because we're the Colombia restaurant, the gem of all Spanish restaurants. Yeah, it- it's phenomenal because every time I go there, I first of all, if you go to the Tampa one, I go into a different room every time and you can go with different sets of parties. Like I went with my family, I went with my friends and it's, it blows people away and then you'll love it. We probably had the best Friday night. It was my girlfriend's mm-hmm. birthday. We went to the show on Friday night and then afterwards we went to Casa Stefano and just had drinks up there. Ah, listen, when you come over, 
with me. I'll, I'll take you on a tour and I'll, I'll have your head spinning. <laughs> um, you know, we've done some videos of these tables could talk. Because when yeah. I walk by, I'll see where Sonny Bono was sitting at table 21, had a spoon of garbanzo bean soup. And Lily Lazare comes from behind him, starts choking him. And Sonny Bono almost killed him. And at table 52, Eliza Minnelli was here and Joel Gray. It was my 40th birthday, and they joined the party. Oh, my gosh. Reggie Jackson at table 41. Uh, Fred McMurray at 32. Jay North from Dennis and Menace at table 23. Where Marilyn Monroe sat. On and on. Lauren Hunt. Oh, gosh. I'm not a fan of, of the celebrities, but the history. Ian Fleming was riding from Russia with Love, and he was at the Columbia and in Florida's finest Cuban restaurant. I wish we made the movie. So, you know, uh, but when you walk through there, you're walking through history. And, and, and if you go with me, you could see why I'm just trying to preserve, maintain, and go back to what it was. There's still more work to be done. We're never yeah. finished in business. If we're finished, we're out of business. And in my industry, in the 40s, was a luxury to do canned vegetables. Why do restaurants go broke? Because they don't change with the times. Yeah. Stay current. And it holds true in any business. Stay yeah. current. Stay ahead. Lead. Have confidence. Know your people. Know your product. Incredible. Incredible. Richard, I've had an Thank amazing time here. I've really appreciated. Is there any, I mean, that was a closing of all closings. <laughs> Is, is there anything you want to leave the audience with? I mean, guys, if you haven't been to the Columbia or Casa Stefano or Goody Goody or Ulele, or if I left any out, you got to check this place out. This is, um, I leave this on my desk. I read it every day and I'll read it to you. I read it at my mom's funeral. It's a, a quote by George Bernard Shaw, author. I want to be thoroughly used up when I die for the harder I work, the more I love. I rejoice in life for its own sake. Life is no brief candle to me. It's a sort of splendid torch, which I've got a hold of for the moment, and I want to make it burn as brightly as possible before handing it on to future generations. I read this every day, and I pray the day that I'm no longer here, my daughter will read this quote and live by that motto, to enjoy, embrace every day, make the most of it, helping the world be a better place. And that they should reach out to her daughter. So thank you for having me. Thank you, Richard. Thank you for reaching the end of the podcast. For that, we'll give you a complimentary coaching session in the link below with Edwards Consulting. Hope to see you there and have a great day and keep clocking in. Thank you for reaching the end of the podcast. For that, we'll give you a complimentary coaching session in the link below with Edwards Consulting. Hope to see you there and have a great day and keep clocking in.